welcome to Reworked, the podcast about our working lives. For many of us, the work we do defines our place in the world. Increasingly, we are looking for meaningful work, which is aligned to our personal values and beliefs. And we want to feel proud and positive about the relationships we build and the services we deliver. Migration touches on our public and political consciousness, and on the private and emotional worlds of all of us. And yet we know relatively little about the experiences of modern-day migrant people, or, in fact, the impact that the movement of people is likely to have on future labour markets. When Pat Cox, from the University of Central Lancashire, offered to speak to Reworked about migration, we jumped at the chance. I gave Pat a call at her home in the northwest to find out more. Patricia, thank you for joining the Reworked podcast. Um, we're really excited to have you have you on the programme. Um, you're a reader in social work and social justice. Um, yes. So would you mind, first of all, just telling us exactly what that, that involves? That's quite an um, expansive job title. It is. Um, and thank you very much um, for inviting me to take uh, part in this podcast. Um, Being a reader means that my main responsibility is uh, to undertake and publish and disseminate research. Um, It's a very privileged position. Um, I have, uh, you know, to be allowed to do that and to be able to think and write about various issues and research them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also contribute to um, teaching students at the university where I work and it's also my job to um, uh, to put in, in layperson's terms to um, come up with new ideas and new ways of thinking about things and new approaches okay. um, so it's it's about being a uh, an initiator as well as a doer and a thinker. Wow, that sounds yeah, that sounds like quite but, a, but I, a privilege. Um, it is, it is a privilege indeed. And so your work, you're focusing um, a lot of your work, I believe, on on migration. And um, yes, should we kick off by talking about um, some of the terminology? Because I know you have views on this about how we refer to um, migrant uh, groups. Yes, sure. Um, Thanks. Uh, I I do have strong views about this. I um, always like to try to say migrant peoples uh, when I'm talking very broadly about migration, or I say refugee and asylum and or asylum seeking peoples, because it counteracts quite a lot of the negative language and negative associations that come with that negative language Um, and it also um, for a listener it pulls them up a bit why why would you say that why would you say it that way Um, and hopefully it starts either a process of thinking or a process of talking about well I'm saying this because and taking it from there mm. so you, so you see part of your role as being you know what you're there to challenge people on their preconceptions or maybe be a, be a bit of an agitator <laughs> oh um, <laughs> I like I yes I like being an agitator one of the one of the 
Social Work's early founders thought that all social workers should be agitators. Um, I, I struggle a bit with the word challenge because it sounds very confrontative. And I think what I want to do is just to pause people to, to as it were, you know, and, and bring them up short a little bit. Why, you know, why is mm. she saying that? Why is she not using the same words that I use? Um, so, yes, and that's part of my, if you like, my initiate, initiating work. <laughs> yes, because you have to be, in, in, obviously, when you're conducting research in this area, it it's, can be a sensitive topic. Yes. Um, we've covered uh, or touched upon. Um, <laughs> lots of people bringing different perspectives, different um, preconceptions, perhaps, around what, what a migrant people is, mm. are. Um, yeah. So how do you then, given that we're talking about the sensitivities of language, how do you get people to talk about their experience as a refugee? um, It's uh, it's really very difficult uh, for many refugee or asylum seeking people. Researchers like me coming along and asking questions is far too reminiscent for them of their experiences with officialdom either during or before their escape if that's their background or on their migratory journeys and they've probably been questioned in ways which won't always have been kind or will have been bewildering and possibly will have been unanswerable for example you know being expected to talk about answer questions about dates and times and so on and I'm aware that research questions can sound and feel very much like this sort of questioning, even if it's me as an interested and concerned researcher. Um, and there's also concerns uh, on behalf of the person or group that I might be asking questions of about where and how um, any information they give me will end up. And that's especially true if there are questions about, around their legal status or their leave to remain hanging in the balance. Yes, yes, I'm sure. So I, what I do is I do my best always to assure and to reassure what's going to happen. Um, I think long and hard about the questions I'm going to ask. I think quite a lot about my manner. Um, and how I might be coming across Um, and I would always say to a refugee or asylum seeking person or a group uh, we'll meet where you want to meet where you'll feel comfortable Um, bring who you want for support don't you know if you're bringing an interpreter or you want an interpreter that's fine but bring who you want Mm -hmm. you know have bring support for you as well um and so it's important that I prepare well and I do my best. It's in the end, it's their choice to answer. Yeah, you must have to be incredibly culturally sensitive. Yes, um, um, you, it, it's part of the groundwork. Yeah. Uh, do you use any model for cultural, cultural intelligence or cultural sensitivity or...? Um, I... Uh, 
I probably started out using a model many years ago, and I now can't recall any particular things to mind. I think that it's partly what I've read, and it's also partly honed with experience. Um, Yeah. And and not making assumptions so that, for example, I interview some, let's say, a family, and a particular approach seems to go down very well, but I can't assume that the next family will respond in the same way to that approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite there's parallels here between actually just being a, a manager of people and how yeah. you know different approaches are going to be have to be applied according to to difference of, of all types, all different types. Um, yes, yes, in the workplace, yeah, for example. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. okay, so um, what do we? Given that it, I imagine it's quite, it, as you've described, it's quite challenging to. to mm-hmm. Um, collect the experiences of, of migrant people. Yeah. How, how much do we know about about their experience and in the UK particularly? Um, we know what we know is um, is limited because of the issues that I've described. Um, we, as it were, from the outside, we know that. Um, there are many different migrant experience, migrant people's experiences that there are, you know, effectively now we live in what we could describe as a world on the move, really. Um, and that it's one of the overarching issues for us in the 21st century. People migrate for all sorts of reasons. So we know bits about different groups. So we people migrate for work or for family reasons we know bits about that we know bits about people who migrate either for an education or a better education I'd say inevitably we know less about people who migrate to escape torture or death and we don't know enough yet about people who migrate um, because of of development climate developmental changes so forced forced to leave by climate change um okay and some people obviously the collapse of their state where they're living you know um into into internecine warfare and so on um mm-hmm. the, the people currently migrating from south america towards the north american border are, are part of that part of that experience um Mm -hmm. we have we have figures for different groups but we the figures don't tell you everything because they can't be collected right Mm -hmm. we just just know that for the figures we've got if you like is the iceberg above water and there's figures below that we haven't yet got to Mm. yes it is yeah i mean Data is always the challenge, isn't it? Whatever yeah, we're absolutely. pretty much whatever we're talking about, just just yes. getting getting that intelligence. Um, yes. um, you know, ch- children who've been neglected, um, people who've suffered harassment in the workplace. Um, we we know more about those things now, but we don't know everything yet. No, no. And so, um, you know, Britain has a complicated relationship with 
with migration and yes. migrant groups, I think it's fair to say. Particularly, you know, it seems seems to me quite confused right now about whether whether we're a migrant society or not and whether we're sending or receiving migrants. And we think, you know, different people, you can ask lots of different people in the street and get lots of different views on that. Um, yeah. what, what, what's your take on that from a research perspective? Um, from a research perspective, uh, Britain is both a sending society and a receiving society um, where much, uh, much less, I would think, Broadly, broadly, we're much less conflicted about being ascended, ascending society. So, for example, um, people who choose to retire to a country where the climate is kinder <laughs> are called expats. Um, people who come here for different, the different reasons um, we've just talked about aren't um, perhaps given such a, a friendly and welcoming uh, title or described in the same way. And um, there's quite a lot of talk in the media and in politics about the fact that, you know, people coming in are disrupt or are seen as disruptive to or having a negative impact upon settled communities. But actually the whole of British history, if you if you go back, is um, shows that Britain is composed of waves and waves of migrant people, some of whom have come and gone, some of whom have come and stayed, settled, and they've become a settled community. And then a new group comes along, um, disrupts that in some way, or everybody settles down again and becomes a new settled community. And it's a process that's actually been going on for many, many years. The difference now is, of course, that the process is evolving much more quickly, that that settled community, new wave of people, new settled community, settled community, new wave, is happening much more quickly. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that. That's an interesting point because I wanted to ask you about um, what you know about projections around migration in the UK, um, given the pace of change. Yes, um, you. I've looked at a um, a, a very helpful um, piece of research that I received recently, and um, it's. It does show the pace picking up um, quite considerably. I'm sorry I don't have that to hand at the moment, but I can um, come back to it. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Or well, maybe we can link to that in the in the programme notes. Um, yes. And so how do you, a lot of this, this topic, obviously we're talking about the populations generally, um, What's the impact of migration, though, particularly on the labour market, do you think, or, or now and maybe in the next few years? Have you got any thoughts on, on that? Um, I have, yes, I have some thoughts. It's, um, it's always, again, it's always been the case that um, when the market needed people uh, for various jobs and positions, that if those positions couldn't be filled by the, the settled or the indigenous populations, then people would be brought in. Um, in the 19th century, for example, 
Irish people were brought over to help with the harvesting and later on, of course, to be involved in the construction industries, despite the fact that there was um, anti-Irish prejudice around at the time. And we've seen that um, more recently, the people who came on the Windrush and filled um, and sister ships who filled many jobs. So there's always the the market really um, is quite influential or can be quite influential in migration or not. Um, mm. I suppose we the, see that in you know occupations like nursing where there's obviously absolutely. a shortfall. Yes, um, nurse, nursing and medicine. Um, we see it currently in some scientific research, in fact, um, and we see it. We see it also in um, jobs in rural areas, such as you know, fruit and vegetable picking, um, processing plants, things like that. Um, so as the labour market fluctuates, migration may also fluctuate as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we had um, we had a, a pre-chat before before this recording, and you, I know you've got some interesting thoughts about groups who might get overlooked in terms of migration. Would you mind saying a little bit about on that topic, please? Sure. Um, a lot of a lot of migration is viewed as being international in character. So uh, people think about people crossing countries, crossing continents, crossing international borders. There's always been, again, everywhere, internal migration, including in the UK. Um, so, for example, people um, migrate um, in at the time of the Industrial Revolution, um, there was large-scale internal migration in the UK, in Britain, from the countryside to the town, people to get work in factories and so on. And so internal migration in general is often overlooked. I mean, it's the same issue of people coming and maybe make, having an impact on a community that considers itself to be settled. Um, so an example of that would be um, perhaps older people in the UK um, retiring to, and indeed other countries, retiring to coastal or rural areas in significant numbers and having an impact on the, as it were, settled community that lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there would be perhaps um, a different pressure on um, traffic flow, um, on um, markets, on as in um, markets where you shop, on yeah, yeah. Uh, health services, yeah. on education. And that's very often overlooked. Um, the, the, every, there is a big focus on international migration and I understand why that is and it is important but internal migration makes a difference and even now people are moving uh, for example to London for jobs Um, people are moving um, perhaps uh, 
across to mainland European cities like Frankfurt, Berlin, Paris for jobs, mm. or from there to London. Um, but the, the internal migration is very much overlooked, and migration from cities to rural or coastal areas is um, not very much researched at all. And with the changing um, uh, ageing uh, the change in um, towards a larger aging population as yeah. well. Um, that will become, I, I venture to predict, more and more significant. Yeah, that, that's exactly where my thinking was going around aging. You know, all of our workforces yeah. are naturally aging. That's right. Um, and so, if those people are wanting to move out of rural areas, what's you know, yes, what's the impact of that on on businesses and where they operate if they want yes. to find the best talent? Um, really interesting, um, and and work related, you know, work related migration as well. Um, I think it, there's a whole podcast topic in that alone, isn't there? But um, absolutely, yes. I wonder how. I wonder what what your thoughts are on how that is related to social mobility. Um, um, yeah, I yes, um, people migrate when people migrate for work, they're looking for better work or better paid work or opportunities for either or both of those. Um, and people are not only workers or labourers. What, what we bring with us when we um, move somewhere to work, we bring um, our social and our cultural and our political interests, the influences we've grown up with. And many people, both uh, who migrate, those who migrate internationally and those who migrate internally, bring those um, understandings and behaviours and experiences with them and impact on then the social and the cultural life that they find around them. Um, so they might um, join in community activities or take up opportunities for education and training offered by perhaps their workplace in order to progress. Um, Migration is about mobilities generally. It's definitely about social mobility as well as all the other things. Mm -hmm. um, it's about, for many people, it's about op a whole range of opportunities that they don't have where they are. Mm, yeah. I mean, well, like you said, there's so much that we don't, that we don't know. Um, Yet. <laughs> yet. Exactly. Yet. So I guess my last question was just going to be, you know, what what what's the piece of research that you really your dream piece of research that you would like to undertake in this field? It, I mean, the, the example of the looking at um, you know, aging populations moving into rural areas is, is maybe it or is there something else? That's... Uh, oh, no, there's, some, there's something. Uh, there is something bigger than that. OK. Um, uh, what I would like is um, sufficient funds and time um, to ask different groups of migrant people, so um, people who've migrated for job or educational reasons, people who are refugees, people who are asylum seekers, different groups to design and undertake their own research on the issues that are important to them. And I'd see my role is to um, 
facilitate getting the funding to them and to support them if they felt they wanted or needed research training. Um, but I would want to facilitate them doing their own research. And what is it they want to research into? Um, so do they want to look at policy development, um, service provision, service design? Um, so I would be, as it were, not doing the research, but facilitating them to do it on whatever they feel the issues are that they want to look into. And um, I would anticipate in this ideal scenario that whatever they do, it's going to challenge researchers like me and make me th rethink perhaps how I do my research. But that, that's my ideal programme. <laughs> oh wow that sounds fantastic uh, yes very um democratic way of conduct conducting the research well, yes. yeah it, it, it is about you know the the gaze is is from researchers in settled communities to migrant peoples the gaze needs to come back and the yeah. questions need to come back now i think yeah. um fantastic well um i i i hope um i'm sure that sounds very fundable to lots of people so i hope somebody somebody's listening who thinks yeah. that like, they know the way the route for some funding for your dream research project absolutely yeah. um uh, the university of central lancashire are very lucky to have you it sounds like you've uh, you know you've, you've done some fantastic work so far and i'm sure you'll, you'll continue to do that um and i've really loved speaking to you patricia thank you for spending some time with us uh, on, su on such an interesting topic that touches all of us in different ways, um, right. whether we're realising it or not. Um, really, really fascinating. And I'll just give a, a quick shout out. Thank you to Jill Hurst, my consultant, who put us in touch. Um, okay, yes, me too. Yes, which was a great idea. So, um, yes, thanks again for joining me on the telephone. And um, let's stay in touch. I'll put on the podcast links to your page on the uh, Central Lancashire University website yes. um, and, so, and your contact, de your sort of social media contact details so people can, can follow you and stay in touch. Um, but it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. Bye. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reworked. The Reworked podcast is a fortnightly programme and it's produced by diversity consultancy EW Group. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a review on the homepage, or better still, subscribe, and then you can keep up to date with all future episodes. I've been your host, Rachel Wilson, and you can find me on Twitter at RAO Wilson and at the EW Group. Join us next time for more Reworked. <laughs>